Hey, good morning, PCBC, church family, church friends. Hey, listen, uh, I'm not just any interloper. I'm the guy that is interloping. Uh, that just means I'm a stranger, and I'm sorry for that for some of you. Uh, you know me. My name is Cameron Williams, and I grew up at PCBC. Uh, I grew up here. I was baptized here. I met my wife here. We were married here, and I was called into ministry and then got my start in ministry here. That was about 26 years and uh, 4,000 hairs ago. So really glad, excited, pleased, honored, and privileged to be able to preach for you this morning. want to say how much I appreciate Pastor Bill and him giving me the opportunity to be here with you today. Uh, I'm a pastor in the state of Washington, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Longview there. We're just south of Seattle. And so as a pastor, I know how jealous we are, that is to say protective we are of our pulpits. What an honor it is to be able to stand in this one. So Pastor Bill, if you are worshiping with us online right now, uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here with your church this morning. I want to ask you a question today. Are you a transformer? Now, I don't mean those little toys, the, the toy truck that turns into a robot. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe let me put it a different way. Are you one who brings as an agent change for the better into other people's lives? Are you an agent of change in other people's lives for the better? Speaking of better, maybe a better way to ask the question or a better question to ask would be, are you transformed. Today I want to explore the concept of transformation in God's word with you. You all have been in a series with Pastor Bill, Ready, Set, Go. Part of being ready and set is to be transformed so that you can be in the going, and that is bringing transformation to others. And that's what we want to be about this morning today. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's inerrant, inspired word to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Not Acts body spray, Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin together in verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. So if you will get there, find that verse for me, put your finger on the verse, and then look right back up here at me when you're ready. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. One weekend in Seattle, a young man, 22-year-old man by the name of Wesley French was found in the fetal position by his friends in the living room. You see, he, he had sold his favorite green Nissan truck. He loved that truck. And he couldn't believe, he was having a bout of seller's remorse. He couldn't believe he had sold that thing. But he and his friends, in, in seeking a remedy for his remorse, came up with a great idea. He and his two buddies went to the store, and they filled their shopping cart full of black spray paint. Then they proceeded to cross over into South Dakota, where the man was to whom Mr. French had sold his car. They proceeded to steal the car back. But here's where the genius part comes in. They pulled the truck around the corner and parked right there in the middle of the night on the street. They pulled out all those black spray cans, the spray paint cans, and they, they transformed in their minds this car. It is no longer, by the time they're finished, a green Nissan truck. It is now a black Nissan truck. 
And they fooled and foiled the police. Pretty genius, huh? Almost. They forgot to pull the license tag off. No sooner had they pulled back into Washington than the state patrol tagged them. And within 24 hours, they were in prison. See, the problem with their transformative experience is that they attempted to do it with human effort, and it was only skin deep. Not only was it only skin deep, it was incomplete. Oftentimes, you and I try to affect change in our lives. We try to be different. We try to be better. We try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And for whatever reason, we can't get past the second day of the change that we hope to achieve. Oftentimes, that is as a result of the fact that it is only human effort that we are putting forward into this transformation. And human effort will not bring about deep and abiding and real inside-out transformation. Only God can do that. And what we're going to discover today in this text is that it is an encounter with God, as we see not only in this text but all throughout the Bible, that brings real transformation. Let's look at this transformation together in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. If you're there, say, got it. Is some of you not there? What's going on? I said, if you're there, say, got it. All right, all right, here we go. Now read with me, would you? In verse 37. Now, when they, who's they? This is the congregation of people who have gathered together in Jerusalem during the era of point of celebration of Pentecost. Thousands of people have gathered together. When they heard this, what's this? That's Peter's sermon. Peter, the apostle, that uh, the guy that's always putting his foot in his mouth, but walking on water all at the same time. Okay, that Peter, right? He's preaching. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about three thousand souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all. Does anyone might have need? Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Today in our sermon about transformation what we are witnessing in this moment is perhaps one of the most transformative moments in the history of the church in the history of God's people. Uh, These people are being turned inside out in a good way. These people are never going to be the same again because the transforming power of God, and here's the good news, I don't want you to miss this, you have access to the same power. Transformation is yours for the taking if only you will reach out for it and reach to the source of transformation in Jesus Christ. Today as we look at this text, there is a lot 
to go over. However, we're only going to look at about five lessons that we're going to learn together about transformation here in Acts chapter 2. Five lessons that I want you to understand about transformation. Here's the deal. Look, accepting Jesus' lordship changes us, doesn't it? If you are a born-again believer, you understand that you're changed. Why is it important to understand that change? Well, because the change is given to us so that we can then impart change to others by what God is doing through us. Therefore, we must, first of all, be transformed. Say, be transformed. And then we must bring transformation. Say, bring transformation. Let's look at the lessons on how we can do that this morning. First thing I want you to catch is that transformation requires purposeful steps of faith. Transformation requires. That's a big word, requires, isn't it? We don't like to be required of, and yet it is the reality in this situation. Transformation requires purposeful steps of faith. Remember how this passage began there in verse 38. You can look at it again and read with me. They ask Peter, what should we do after having heard his sermon? And in this instance, though we're in what we understand to be a narrative text, you have the first instance, in fact, maybe in this whole passage, the only instance of what we call an imperative, which means there is a command set of instructions that Peter is going to give the people. These instructions are to you and to me as well. Let's read them together there in verse 38. He says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's list out the steps just so that we can make sure we're all clear on what those steps are, those purposeful steps of faith that we are to employ in order to achieve transformation. Achieve word is a little bit challenging, isn't it? Because really it's not us achieving it, it's God releasing it in us. But here's what we do. First of all, we have to repent. You know what it means to repent? Repentance is when you recognize that there is a sin in your life, whether it's a behavioral sin, a thought sin, attitudinal sin, whatever is going on, you recognize that the direction you're headed is sinful. And you, figuratively of course, though maybe sometimes it needs to be literal, you you turn your back on that sin. And you'll walk away from it in your life. That's repentance. Peter says that has to be a step that you incorporate into your life if you want to experience transformation. And part of that is also seeking forgiveness. Peter says, repent and seek forgiveness. Those are kind of in simultaneity. In other words, we might say at the same time they happen. But what you are doing in repenting is seeking forgiveness. You ask the Lord, you confess the Lord that you are sinning, that you have sinned. You let him know you're turning your back on that sin. Then you seek forgiveness. The great thing about that is First John promises that if we do seek that forgiveness, we'll receive it and be cleansed. And you can see how the transformation then begins to work in your life from the inside out. He goes on to say you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Now listen, it doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're a born-again believer, you have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. But listen, sometimes those of us who are born again need to have an extra filling as well. And it is that sin that we just repented of and sought forgiveness for that now, though it was in the way, is out of the way, and the Holy Spirit can fill us again. And so the change begins to bubble inside of us. But also, he says, there needs to be baptism. I'm relatively certain that part of the reason some Christians walk around with an untransformed life 
is because many Christians, particularly younger Christians, forego baptism, put off baptism, think it's not a big deal. I want you to understand that that is a required step of transformation. It's not a required step for salvation. But if you want to experience the full transformation that God has for you, you have to step into the waters as well. You see those four steps, purposeful steps of faith in order to receive, experience transformation. Now, some of you give me the stink eye. That's all right. I get that stink eye every time I play Uno with my wife. You know why? Because there are times when I put down a blue seven. And you know what happens when I put down a blue seven? What does she have to do? She's got to put down either a blue or a seven, right? But in those moments that, that she doesn't have a blue or a seven, what is she going to have to do? She's going to have to draw a card. <laughs> and I'm going to win in this moment, aren't I? Not so much that. It, I mean, you know what's even better is to employ the draw four card. Don't you just love that card? There's the card where you can really get mean. And sometimes I get to pull this on my wife. I slap it down. And she has to draw four. Unless, I don't know if you know this rule or not, unless she challenges me. Because, see, I have to pick a color, don't I? If I pick red, and I don't have any red, and she challenges me, you know what happens? I have to draw four. Oh, my gosh. She's so mean. Why would she do that to me? Don't you find that kind of experience irritating? And yet we still go to our friends' houses and we play Uno, don't we? And, and some of us, that's our favorite game to play. Why do we subject ourselves to such suffering? Because frankly, it's not any fun without submitting to those rules. It's not any fun without accepting the requirements that the game asks of us. We can have fun and we can win at the game if only we will submit ourselves to those purposeful steps within the game. My friends, how much more is it important for us to acknowledge the fact that within our spiritual walks, within our lives, there are purposeful steps that God has prescribed for us in order to win. You want transformation? Employ those steps. Understand that there are required purposeful steps of faith to be employed. Depending on where you are in your faith journey, there may be just certain steps that are important to you and, and maybe steps not important to you. Everyone in this room is at a different place. The question you got to ask yourself is, what are those steps? And then you have to ask yourself, am I going to be obedient in taking those steps because what we understand is that transformation explodes when God's people are obedient. Explosive transformation happens in this moment. Take a look there in verse 41. Those who had received Peter's word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were baptized that day. Now understand this is Jerusalem, and understand that the place is packed, 
and understand that they're in an arid area, meaning that water is precious. They would have had cleansing ritual pools all around the fences, the walls of the temple and in some of the synagogues in that town. What Peter has just done is sent 3,000 people like a wave throughout that entire city to go and use up all of this water in these ritual cleansing pools. I mean, their baptism made a huge splash that day. Do you understand the impact that 3,000 baptisms had? Now, it wasn't 3,000 people listening. There were more than that listening. It wasn't 3,000 people who were saved that day. There were several who were saved who began to put off baptism in that moment. But 3,000 people were fully embracing of that particular step. And that particular step itself was a catalyst of transformation into that entire community. Think about going into a synagogue and stepping down into those waters and you've got about 10 people coming in behind you that want the same thing. The rabbi in that synagogue and all of the participants in that synagogue are wondering, what's the deal? Why all of a sudden, why do you have 10 people? Why are you waiting in line? Why are you dirtying up my very clean waters? Who is this Jesus that you're talking about? Who is this Peter? Questions began to become central to that town's gossip. And soon, the gospel is spreading throughout that entire town. And it's this explosive, impactful moment because of the obedience of God's people in this time. You know, we can study doctrine and theology and we can go to our Sunday school classes or disciple groups or life groups and we can have a lot of knowledge about God's word but the truth of the matter is while all of that is good our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our fellow students really don't care about our theology What they care about is whether our theology matters enough to change us. It's when they see our obedience and that we live our lives differently as a result of what we believe that they understand how important the gospel is, how important scripture is. It comes by the expression of obedience in our lives. Transformation then happens in their lives because it's happening in our lives and then transformation explodes because of the obedience of God's people. Is your Christian life boring? Would you admit to that? Do you open up your Bible in the morning if you open up your Bible at all? You open up your Bible in the morning and you read and it's like a two-note trombone solo. Wah, wah. Is that how your spiritual life is working right now? Or is your spiritual life filled with an exploding transformation? Now, your life may be boring. Uh, you, you may go to the factory every day and, and make sprockets. It may be the same sprocket that you make 100 times a day, every day of your life. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, is your spiritual life exciting or boring? Now, let me ask you another question to follow that up. If you've been honest enough with yourself, if you would be honest enough with me right now and say, yeah, my spiritual life is boring, here's the question you need to ask. 
In what part of your life are you being disobedient? Is it that the Holy Spirit is just waiting for you to do that which he has asked you to do? And until you do that, why would he do more? In what part of your life are you being disobedient? You see, uh, transformation explodes when God's people are obedient. It could be that you're in a place right now, you know that there's some disobedience in your life. You've been trying to work through that. Uh, You just don't know how you can get past the disobedience that is blockading your spiritual excitement. Maybe it's time to pray about your disobedience. Because what we discover here in the text together today is that transformation comes from prayer. Transformation comes from prayer. Look in verse 42 with me. We read, they were continually devoting themselves to, and then we see a list of things that they were devoting themselves to, but then the latter part of that, the very last part of that, in fact, potentially, arguably, the emphasis of that list is they were, de- uh, they were devoting themselves continually to prayer. Prayer. Now put it in your margin, Acts chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and also Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to to hear this as Luke describes what is happening in the church at this time. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, Luke says, when the disciples had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying, and in this moment, this is the first time he uses this phrase, they, or rather, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. This is the same phrase that we just read together right here. Then in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, we read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all in one place. If you know the background here, the day of Pentecost was a huge moment for the church when the Holy Spirit descends upon us and gives us the power of transformation. So what one place were they in? It is the upper room where they were before. And what were they doing in the upper room? Well, Luke would imply that they were praying. Transformation comes from prayer. How's your prayer life? I mean, do you just, do you just give little uh, half-hearted prayers when you eat lunch? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but is that super powerful? Is that the kind of prayer that the disciples and the followers of Christ were after here? Do you just pray little stoplight prayers? God, please make this light turn green. God, please make this light turn green. Please make this light turn green. Is that the kind of prayer that you've got in your life? Or, or is there something more that we're called to? Is there a heart-rending, knee-bending, earnest, honest prayer experience that defines who you are as a follower of Christ? You see, because that's the kind of prayer that we see implemented in this moment, and that is the kind of prayer from which transformation comes. You may see the need for transformation in another person's life. You've been arguing with that person. You've been cajoling that person. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. And you just can't get anything to happen. Well, of course not. Maybe it's time to pray. You see, what happens when you pray, you transform. And when you transform, that transformation translates to the person in front of you. I asked you earlier, are you a transformer? And again, I don't mean a robot car. 
I mean, are you an agent of change? Here is where transformation comes from, prayer. Now, that may not make any sense to you. It may not be an explanation that has any logic to it. I don't pretend that it is. Because, you see, transformation defies explanation apart from God. Faith, or rather, uh, prayer requires a certain amount of faith from us, right? That there is going to be a supernatural movement in the life of the one who is praying and the one who is prayed for. Other than that, apart from God, there is no explanation for transformation. In verse 43, Luke says that many wonders and signs were taking place. Now, Luke is using that phrase to suggest to the person to whom he was writing, uh, this guy was named Theophilus. He said, Theophilus, I can't explain what's happening. It's just these signs and these wonders. In other words, uh, God is doing something wonderful, and apart from him, I can't explain what is happening. And that's transformation. It defies explanation apart from God. Transformation has divine origins. I've known members of the Bandidos biker gang who have, in coming to an understanding of who Jesus is, just very naturally began to understand their sinfulness. Uh, this gentleman, without me ever telling him how he's supposed to live his life, he, he, he just simply understood in reading God's word, in my praying for him, in others praying for him, there were certain behavioral things he had to begin to change. I've sat with a man who is a hopeless atheist. I was simply answering questions for him. I knew I couldn't argue him into heaven, but I prayed for him. And across the table from me at Panera, he simply stopped me in conversation one day and said, Cameron, I just want to know how to receive Christ. I give up already. He knelt right there and prayed in the middle of the restaurant. Transformation comes from prayer. I want you to understand that. Finally, the last lesson that I want you to catch is that transformation begins with salvation. Verse 47, we read, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved have you been saved this morning? I come from the Northwest where those kinds of terms, those kinds of phrases are kind of bizarre. Maybe you're here today. You've never been in this church before. Maybe that's a strange phrase for me to use. Have you been born again? For some, that's even stranger. Maybe you come from a denomination that doesn't have that kind of understanding of who God is and how he works in our lives. What I want you to understand today is that you must be born again. And we see that transformation begins in that place, in this text, right here. Have you been saved? Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says this, listen, it doesn't matter whether you have been circumcised or not. In other words, what he's saying is it doesn't matter how religious you are, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how ethical you are. It doesn't matter whether you have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Have you been transformed? You, see, you cannot help another person be transformed if you are not first yourself transformed. 
And only Jesus can transform you. Did you hear me say that? Uh, Only Jesus can transform you. Only Jesus can transform you. Uh, Only Jesus can empower you to change from the inside out with an everlasting, full, complete change. Uh, Only uh, Jesus can imbricate upon you the moniker of new creature so that all things are passed away and all things are now becoming new. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can enthuse you with the Holy Spirit uh, so that you begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit and and replace those old rotten apples that you carry around with you or those sour grapes that you keep in your pocket. Only Jesus can encompass you with a new robe and a new role and a new name so your surname is that of Christ and your new blood is the blood of Christ in your veins. Only Jesus can transform you. Salvation is where transformation begins. It was June 1980-something, in an average coal mine, in an average town in Virginia, two potentially less than average coal miners were rifling through some of the less than average coal that was left over that day. When they looked up and they saw him descending, A man from Krypton, the son of Kalel, with a red cape. He descended right in front of them. They were dumbfounded, these two potentially less than average men, looking at this less than average coal. Always the gentleman Superman looked at the fellows and said, Hi guys, how you doing? Could I have one of these pieces of coal? The guys looked at each other, kind of chuckled a little bit. Sure, Superman, can't imagine what you would want with this coal, this leftover coal, but sure. Superman took a piece of coal in his hand, this less than average leftover coal, and he wrapped it in his fingers. And in his super strength, powered by the yellow sun of earth, he began to crush and pressure and work that coal in his hand until what emerged was a diamond that could rival the crown jewels. The coal had been transformed in his hands. And he gave that transformed diamond to a young farm girl from Smallville and transformed her life with it, which then transformed the lives of the people around her. Maybe today, there's someone here who thinks they're less than average, worthless, left over. Maybe you need some transformation this morning. And maybe the problem is you just simply haven't reached out And put yourself in the hands of Christ. Salvation is where transformation begins. 
We today are about being transformed in order to bring transformation. I want to encourage you this morning to start at salvation. Start with Christ.